The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents of Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more, SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the port johns It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan-friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto-friendly. They've all been well-researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm a father of twin boys. I'm a college professor, and I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Michelle Frank. I am a mom to three girls. I'm a CPA, and I am an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father of two teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
Very good. We are glad to have the two of you here with us, and I am excited to talk to you about our running power conversation today. Um, let's go around the horn real quick. Michelle, what's you been up to this week? Uh, just running a little, a lot less actually than the last few weeks, which is pretty <laughs> exciting. Um, and I watched a, a recently released Billy Yang video uh, about Zach Miller, who is an ultra runner. And I just thought it was great. I mean, I think most people have kind of seen him out there and um, talked about his history and how he got into ultra running and um, how he initially went to go work on a cruise ship and he hated running at sea. So he would just run a little bit at sea and then take off, you know, on their days when they were uh, in port. And um, he accidentally ran Chamonix over like a four day period, uh, just accidentally ended up there one summer. So um, I thought it was great that it chronicled kind of his life history, a lot about, um, you know, where he was living in Colorado. He grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I think what I love the most is uh, he made a point of saying, um, like he has a gift, obviously, but that if he was out there just to win races, then he'd really be wasting um, the true nature of the gift and the athletic talent that he has. So uh, I also loved that it didn't focus um, on like a major win. It wasn't this comeback story or anything. I mean, if anything, I think he was, mm -hmm. he was, uh, he was evacuated from UTMB in 2018. Yeah. I mean, he left in a <laughs> chopper, right? right? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. It goes into good detail about that race. He talks about, uh, he basically raced from like 100 to 120 kilometers of that race. And then he just had nothing left. So it uh, kind of leaves what to be desired, um, I guess, the next time UTMB. But he's humble. He's a great advocate for the sport. And I'm just a huge fan of Billy Yang videography in general. So that's kind of Yeah, my... right on. Since you had mentioned it, I, I watched it today when I was riding my bike. And uh, it's it's only about 38 minutes long, right, on YouTube. Um, right. and, uh, and I watched it today too. Yeah. One of my takeaways was the same as yours, that it, that trying to do something meaningful through his running, which right. I thought was interesting. Um, uh, it also, it frankly showed like a softer side to him, a much softer side to him. I've seen his videos of him racing and they talked about this on the, uh, on the film, the short film yeah. that he <laughs> runs real Jeez. recklessly and really like aggressively. Um, and, and that's how he runs. And so I've seen like the finish of the last mile of the North face 50 that he ran. And he's like grunting and growling and yelling and, and some of that. And you're like, Oh, this guy's a little bit nuts. And then you see this much like more chill, calm side yeah. of him in this film. So I, I actually really appreciate that aspect of it. Michelle, tell me this, did it make you want to run UTMB the most competitive and most famous ultra race in the world? I mean, I already would like to run <laughs> that race. Gosh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we'll see. But that was, yeah. that was my other big takeaway from it is like, wow, really makes you want to run that race because it's gorgeous. And it's I mean, come and on, it's, that is that race is stunning. So. And they and they have they actually have crowds out there cheering and stuff at an ultra race. I mean, Eric, you've done ultra races. You ever seen crowds out there cheering? No. <laughs> yeah, the closest I've come to that is uh Peyton's ten by five K all the people that are the, the relay people that are drinking beer while you're coming around. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, if you can't get into UTMB and most people can't, I mean, there are, you know, other smaller races that are out there that weekend, but that could also just be like a bucket list trip, you know, mm -hmm. some type of running tour, mm -hmm. or I don't know if you don't want to go to like the Bahamas or something, you could just go run. Chimney. Michelle, I think, I think you need to run it and Eric and I will come over there on a tour. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say Eric and I will crew you. And I was going to say, I'm good with Eric, but have reservations. <laughs> you got three daughters. You don't need a crew. You got your Based built on what crew. you told me about uh, how you would do crewing his daughter. <laughs> I think I'll just take Eric. <laughs> fair, fair. Eric, what's up with you, man? What you been up to for the past week or so? Nothing. <laughs> no, Why I, is that? Crew? So, just got back from New Hampshire, the ice climbing trip with my son, which was phenomenal. Um, uh, but on the on the road back, you know, driving, I started feeling some pain in my left leg that I think I had felt for about two weeks. I'd just been ignoring, and uh, I tried to. I think the first few days I felt it were right after the the uh, hundred mile attempt, and I was. I think I told you guys I either have shin splints or I have a hairline fracture. I have a stress fracture in my shin. Well, it's 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 a stress fracture. So I've got a stress fracture in my shin. And because of, I believe because of that and sort of adjusting my gait for that, I've actually done something to the back of my left knee. Mm. So it's just progressing up my leg, which is really, you know, I decided this next couple of weeks, I wasn't going to do anything, but it's really awful when you're not actually exercising, but when you get up in the morning and you feel sore, you mm. actually feel like you just did a workout. Mm. And so I'm going through that right now. And that's, that's frustrating. Um, but I, I know it's, part of the process. It's probably a good thing. Rest up before the, you know, start rolling back into it, say beginning of February to get ready for March. And then I've got a 50 miler in April following the 10 by 5k in March. So it's probably a good time to take a couple weeks off anyway, just for the rest of the body and let that heal. Nonetheless, it's frustrating. Feel a little stupid (laughs) letting something get to that point. Um, But, you know, it happens. Yeah, I I have talked many times on this podcast about the difference between George the athlete and George the coach. And I imagine Eric the athlete and Eric the coach are probably the same too. You like if one of your athletes came to you and said, Yeah, coach, this thing is bothering me, you'd be like, Yo, back it off, shut it down, let's be cautious, let's be careful. Eric the athlete doesn't necessarily do that for himself. Um, no, you know, we came back from the 10 by or sorry, the the Charleston 100, and you know, we didn't run 100 miles. So I went and started training the day after I went out, I think I ran 10 or 12 miles, it was two, two runs, but I ran 10 or 12 miles. That's even dumber. Probably. <laughs> you, you, you were stupid twice. But I, I felt really good. You know, I felt really good, but I, I didn't, Boy, I didn't. That, that, that hundred K really got me in shape, man. <laughs> yeah. So, and, but then, you know, reality started setting in and, you know, I'm where I'm at because of what I did. And you're right. It's, it's a little bit of not knowing how to coach yourself. So a little, little stress, but a good reminder. Sorry. Sorry to hear that, but, but glad you're doing the right thing now. Glad you're going to pull it together. You referred a couple of times to the, uh, the 10 by 5k that you and I are both signed up for in March, the Peyton's 10 by 5k. So hoping that happens, but we'll see whether it does. Um, where is that? So it's North in Mount Carolina. Pleasant, South Carolina. South Carolina. Is so, it on yeah. track? It's not. Um, it's uh, it's in a park that's and in the, the whole thing is unpaved. It's like a high school cross country course because they have this park and that's where they want to stage it, but they don't really have a 5K there. So they just sort of like meander around and put this 5K course into this park. Um, and that's the way it feels. So it has a couple of 180 degree turns and, and things like that, but it's entirely on trail and it feels like, like yeah, a high school cross country race that you do 10 times. And you're all doing it 10 times? No, no, they have, they have um, two person teams and five person teams, but then there's, you know, also the event where you do one at the top of every hour 
And if you finish in 20 minutes, you get 40 minutes of rest. You finish in 30 minutes, you get 30 minutes of rest, et cetera. So uh, both Eric and I did it in 2019. Um, it was, it was a cool race. And so we'll see if we're able to pull it off. Eric, what, what, uh, what percentage possibility would you put that we're actually going to have the race? Well, the Charleston 100 is put on by the same person. Good point. And, you know, we, we, he just pulled off the Charleston 100. So I feel like it's, it's got a high probability of, of, of you know, unless for some reason external forces shut him down, I, I think Noah will, will pull the race off. Mm-hmm. And, and just so you know, Michelle, it is, it's unlike any other race I've ever done. Mm-hmm. It is the most positive environment. <laughs> it really is. It's like the most positive environment. It is simply fun. I mean, it really is just fun. Mm-hmm. So. You guys have fun with that. We, we will be doing a race report from there. Look forward to that. Doing a, 13th, we'll, right? So, so, so look forward to it. Yeah, I think that's when it is. Um, March, yeah, March 13th. So look forward to that. Um, my week has been mixed feelings as well. My, um, I got the bad news last week that my first ever running coach died um, at the end of last week. Um, I actually know his son um, because his son became a runner. And then when I was a staff coach at running camp, the same running camp where Eric and I met 30 years ago, um, his son was a camper there as a high schooler. Um, so I got a, got a, a message on Facebook from his son saying that his dad, my former coach had died of COVID-19. And so that is obviously really bad news. And I've been thinking about it a lot over the course of the past week. I think the thing I keep coming back to when I'm thinking about it and, and it's probably a similar feeling that, that y'all have maybe when you look back on this sort of thing. But um, yeah, I started running cross country when I was in 10th grade in order to get in shape for soccer. Um, and, and then again, in 11th grade, again, to get in shape for soccer, but then ended up quitting the soccer team and running track. Um, and that was this incredibly consequential decision in my life. I think we even just happened to be talking about it last week on this podcast, even before I, I found out about my coach. And um, he welcomed me and, and trained me in such a way that he didn't burn me out physically or mentally for the sport. And I'm still now doing that 35 years later. Um, and I think that had I had a different high school coach, maybe one who wanted to try and run me into the ground because he wanted to win a championship then, or one who wasn't taking a long-term vision towards my development as an athlete and as a person, um, I might not be doing this 35 years later. Really and truly, running is probably one of the most defining endeavors of my entire life. So, so yeah, this one hit me hard. <laughs> um, Pretty close to home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be safe, everybody out there, and, uh, and, and make sure you're taking the precautions uh, you need to take and that you should take in order to uh, stay safe from COVID-19. So speaking of coaches, I just mentioned this. I, I'll mention again real quick here. Um, do want to kind of mention a couple of housekeeping things here before we hop into to tech with Eric. Um, I want to remind everybody that the book we're reading this quarter is called Running to the Edge, A Band of Misfits and the Guru Who Unlocked the Secrets of Speed by Matthew Futterman. Um, it was funny this week. I got a text from Eric and said, maybe we should clarify which book we're reading. And it had a picture of Running to the Edge by Matthew Futterman and Running to the Edge by some other guy. Um, The one that we are reading is not the one by some other guy. The one that we are reading is Running to the Edge, A Band of Misfits, and The Guru Who Unlocked the Secret of Speed from 2019 by Matthew Futterman. Again, we're only picking one book per quarter here. We're not going to discuss it together until March, but I've enjoyed it so far. It's good. I'll be interested to hear what you all have to say about it uh, as we get a little bit farther along. The other thing to remind everybody of is about Race Report podcasts this year. 
We are going to have race report podcasts like we've had in the past. We want to bring on some guests. If you have a big goal or a big race you're targeting, uh, come on and tell us a little bit about it. Um, Michelle and I are going to be talking about our race next weekend, the 50K that we've talked about a few times here in the woods. Um, and then, like we just said, the Peyton's 10 by 5K, that's going to be one of our race reports that we do. But those are just the ones that we're doing here. We want uh, some of our listeners to come on and talk to us too. Uh, we did have a couple of people reach out this week that they're, they're planning to do different Ironman races uh, and different marathons. If you fall into that category, let us know. Reach out to us. Drop me a line. Drop us a line, pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter, and we will add you to the queue for this year. All right, Eric, Tech Week, what are we talking about? This week, we're going to talk about running power. But as we discussed earlier, uh, the best way to talk about running power is maybe to start with something that is a little more, uh, I'd say, understandable. And it's definitely more, um, more saturated into a sport. It's uh, cycling power. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. Whenever I hear conversations among runners about running power, they don't really seem to be able to wrap their minds around what it is. Um, and I think that the cyclists and triathletes can wrap their mind around what power is pretty well, because power in cycling, measuring power in cycling and using it in cycling um, has become, as Eric just said, such, such, a, such a, a big part of that sport. Eric, how do they measure power in cycling? So I like the way you said that. How do they measure power in cycling? So I think before you talk about how they actually measure power in cycling, I think some people might need to understand what power is. Okay. Um, especially in the, in the running sense um, or, or in the running, if you're not a cyclist, what is power? Mm -hmm. So uh, people understand terms like say horsepower. Um, people understand watts. All of your light bulbs in your house have a watt measurement on it, but I, I'm not sure people really understand, you know, how it's developed. So just really, you know, quickly, if you think about it um, from a physics sense, you know, if I'm putting force on an object and that object is moving i'm doing work and if i do that work over a period of time that's power it takes power to do work over a period of time so in its simplest sense power is just work over time and 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 the the measurements we use for that you know in cycling uh, we use watts um, actually in running most of the most of the outputs are in watts also so when you're, when you're looking at that watt measurement, you're really just looking at the work you're putting in over time. And the work is your body's exertion. What's the work? So yeah, it's measuring exertion because exertion in cycling can really vary. Um, and, and that's the reason why it was developed in cycling. So cyclists will go out for really long rides, rides of two hours, three hours, four hours, six hours. Uh, they'll go out for routinely, extremely, extremely long rides. And those rides are over a lot of varying terrain um, and those lot rides are in a lot of different conditions in terms of the wind. You could have the wind at your face, you could have the wind at your back. It can be, it can be really heavily influenced by, by the weather as well. And so if you want to try and figure out how much effort you put into a bike ride, um, how much work you are doing over time, to, to use the phrase that Eric just used that I liked a lot, um, you can't look at your speed. Um, because your speed, for example, if you're climbing up a mountain at eight miles per hour, your speed is obviously going to be really, really low. If you're going down the mountain, you're not putting out any work. You're not putting on any watts. You're not putting on any exertion, but your speed is going to be really, really high. And so in cycling, there was a need to somehow measure exertion 
in, in a way that accounted for the differing terrain and the differing weather conditions that could influence the speed in cycling. And, and what they came up with was watts. All right, so let's talk real quickly about power versus heart rate. Why is power something that's better um, or a more universally used metric and respected metric than say heart rate, which for so long was considered to be the gold standard? So in, in cycling, there, there's two reasons why power is, is, is a better measure than heart rate. Um, the first is it's available. Um, and if, if, if you're measuring heart rate, heart rate is literally, it, it is a lagging indicator of the effort you're putting in. So when you start a break, say in cycling, uh, your, your power is going to um, double, triple, quadruple but in, not instantaneous, your heart rate's not going to instantaneously react. So your heart rate's going to follow. Um, and due to the strategy and, and sort of the way that, you know, cycling races develop, you're going to need that instant feedback and you're going to want that instant feedback because I've, you know, our bodies are sort of like a battery on your phone. And if you think about the power outage, the brightness of your screen, um, the, you make that screen really bright, you're going to want, you know, your battery's going to run down really fast. And so when that cyclist breaks, makes a break, joins a break, goes to the front, uh, they're going to want to instantly know what their power is at and then uh, have a good feel for how long they can hold on to that power level. Mm -hmm. um, their heart rate may fluctuate at that power level. Their heart rate may be actually constantly going up at that power level because they're, they're over the power that they can maintain a consistent heart rate but they're not measuring that they're measuring power because power is really um, a measurement of the energy expenditure that you're putting into the effort. Uh, yeah, heart rate I, again is a, is a lagging factor and, and it's not directly proportional to the energy expenditure. I, I think that I know, I know you had a second thing to say about it too, but I think that that lagging nature of it is one of the things that makes for triathletes in particular. Um, but anybody who's putting in sort of a steady effort, like a time trial cyclist, it's the lagging nature of heart rate that makes power such a better indicator. Everybody knows, and Michelle, you certainly have had this experience before, where you start running at a, at a brisk pace, say tempo pace, for example. You start running at tempo pace and your heart doesn't immediately jump right up to its lactate threshold. It'll stay fairly low. Over time, it will get to what your lactate threshold is. And then after a while, it's gonna get pretty far over your lactate threshold, even though your pace hasn't changed, right? Right. Um, it's a lagging indicator. Um, but if you're running, you're and you're paying attention to that. You're paying attention to that. And if you're cycling, you're paying attention to power. Right. Like right. power for a cyclist tells you, like you know what you're going to do to whatever point you're going to blow up. Whereas even though with running, it's a lagging indicator, you can only go so long, you know, up in that zone four, zone five range. So it's but it's the same thing in cycling. So, so it's, it's the same thing in cycling. You have a limited amount of time at which you can ride at a very high power or power. run at a very high power or a very high effort level, right? right. Um, what, would, what would happen or what could happen is if you have a race that's supposed to last 45 minutes in the first five minutes, you might feel fantastic. And you might be like, oh, I can totally run this for 45 minutes. But by the time you get to about 30 minutes, you're like, wow, I really went out too fast. If you're looking at your power numbers, you're, you're still gonna feel great in that first five minutes, but you're going to know that you're putting in a power that you truly can sustain for 45 minutes. Right, Eric? Right. 
So, and it's part of that's due to the accuracy of the measurement. And that, that goes into my, my second point is you can directly measure power on a bike. And, and if you can directly measure the power that the, that is being applied to the bike by the body, then you can, you're measuring the power that's being output by the rider. It's because and, the bike, it's a, it's a, it's a measure of something external to mm-hmm. the person riding the bike. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Right. Bike. So th- there are different ways to do it, but in one of the standards is you, you measure at the crank. So you measure at the bottom bracket and, and the, the technology is very simple. It's a small piece of metal. And as you put a strain on that piece of metal, as you make it a little bit longer, the resistance of that metal changes and the little electric circuit attached to that piece of metal. So you get a little current going through it. The current changes because the resistance changes. And they've come up with a table that says at this resistance, there's this much torque on that crank arm. And at this resistance, there's this much torque on that crank arm. And then they convert that torque using RPM to power. So that's your time component and it's your force and distance component turned into power. And, and that, that direct measurement of power being applied to that crank is the power that the rider is putting into it. And Michelle, you hit the nail on the head that there is something external being acted upon by the rider that's allowing that power measurement. It's an actual measurement of an actual piece of you know, uh, gear that's external to the, the rider. And then it can also be measured, uh, you mentioned it can be measured at the crank, the pedals. Um, right. it, can, it can also be measured at the hub on the back wheel, right? That is correct. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Uh, I've seen them on the actual pedal. I've seen them in the bottom bracket. I've seen them on the crank arm and I've seen them as part of the, part of the rear wheel, the rear okay. hub. So, so, so we've, we've already kind of talked about, okay, so that's how you measure it. We've talked right. about kind of how you use it in cycling. Michelle, give us the athlete's perspective. Do you feel like this would be, if you could measure this in running, do you feel like this is something that would be useful? I think if you could measure it, it would be useful, but I am obviously building towards a thesis of it's great that running power, this new metric exists, but I don't think it's useful for running the way that it is for cycling. Is that because of your comfort level with heart rate or your distrust in what you see in power? I just struggle with figuring out if the information can be useful, how, how to best use it, I guess I would say. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. I, I, I do too. And, and, and it's important that we kind of say we're, we're going to get into how it's measured and some of, some of its drawbacks in running. For me, I think it would be very alluring to have in running, um, particularly in say trail running where you have all these ups and downs and all these changes and all that sort of thing. And sometimes you feel great and you might be going out too fast. You might be putting in too much power. You might be putting in too much exertion, too much work over time um, and, and setting yourself up for a crash later on in the race. And so I feel like knowing how useful it's been for me in cycling um, and how useful it's been for a lot of cyclists, it would be useful to have this in running, I feel like. Um, and I think that, that that's one of the reasons why a few companies have, have worked hard to try and make it into um, something for running. I mean, Eric, what do you think? I agree. Uh, we, we've all, you know, people who, I, I like Michelle's honesty there. She runs on feel. Mm-hmm. And jo- George, you just made the comment that sometimes your feelings can be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, at the oh, beginning yeah. of the race, everybody, <laughs> everybody thinks they're going to win. 
And in the first two miles of a hundred mile race, everybody is raring to go and mm -hmm. they go out and put out their 730 mile. And then they realize that that was not really what they should have been doing. Your legs will never feel as good on a bike as they do in the first 10 miles of an Ironman bike <laughs> because you are rested and you're fired up and you are fit. Um, and so it is so easy to go out too hard on the Ironman bike. And so getting a power meter where you can say, oh, oh I need to kind of keep this down a little bit. That's very, very useful in a long bike like that, where it can be catastrophic if you go too hard in the first two hours of the Ironman bike, not only for the remainder of the bike, but for that whole marathon you have to run afterwards, right? How is that right. different when going out 10 seconds under marathon pace at mile one of a marathon? It's not. Um, so it can be catastrophic for that runner who goes out too fast in the marathon as well. Right. But, but the difference is, is that let's say there is in that first mile, a slight downhill, right? Not even a big downhill, like a, like a half percent downhill. And the runner is actually putting in the right amount of effort, but there's that 10 seconds there that they gain because they went a little bit faster because there was a slight downhill. If that runner was able to look at a power number, they would say, no, I'm actually not going too fast. I'm putting in exactly the right amount of exertion that I need to be putting in that I can maintain over the course of this time. Opposite is also true. If there's a very slight uphill in that first mile, one that's so slight you don't even necessarily notice it on the elevation maps. If a runner was able to look at their power numbers, they wouldn't necessarily sweat it when they went through that first mile 10 seconds slower than what their split was supposed to be. You see what I'm saying? I understand that, but I also don't know many endurance athletes who would be on the run and not understand that their pace is going to be 10, 20, 30 seconds per mile slower if they're going up than if they were just running on flat terrain. And Michelle, I've heard you on this podcast say that nobody can convince you that even splits are not the fastest way to run a race. And the reality is on a track, maybe that's true. But anywhere else, you can't use pace. But if you had an accurate measurement of power, you could use power. Because the reality is it's not about equal splits. It's about equal power exertion, you know, power put out over time that's going to get you the best time in the race. And I, and I also think, too, that, that saying that you're not going to sweat it when you're five seconds faster or five seconds slower than your goal pace. I do think runners tend to sweat that stuff. I do think that causes runners a lot of, of strain in the early parts of a marathon. You know, I like to think that myself as a runner, cause I've been doing it for a long time. And I certainly like to think that, that, that Eric, you do too. And Michelle that you do too. When you go through the mile mark and it's just a little bit slower than what your average pace is supposed to be, you don't flip out. But I submit there's a lot of runners out there who, when their split is not exactly what they were supposed to be, they flip out a little bit. They have their little pace tattoo on their arm and, and they're looking at it and they go through that 13 mile mark and it's not exactly what it was supposed to be. And they flip out a little bit. Um, I, I, I think that happens on a fairly regular basis. I would agree. And additionally, if that same runner is looking at their heart rate at the beginning of a race. Um, did they have a little extra caffeine? Did they not sleep well the night before? Is there some other factor affecting their heart rate that's not necessarily related to their, their output of energy 
then they could be out of zone and slow down when they really shouldn't slow down, or they could be out of zone high and need to slow down more than they think they should. If you could have a, a good, accurate, repeatable measurement of power and running, it would provide the same benefits that it provides the cyclist. Okay. I can get on board with that, but I think I'm still holding firm that even if your watch tells you you have running power is X, Y, or Z, it's not helpful the way that the way that these companies have pushed it out and, and want it to be helpful. And I think maybe it might be important to explain why I'm right about that. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. I think you are right about that. And so, so, so there's, there's actually, there's, right there's, this, okay. <laughs> so, so you are right about that. I agree with you on that. And so, so I think that, that, that that's a good point for us to pivot on. Um, Eric just said, if you could measure running power, all these various things. And so it's kind of funny. We spent the last 10 minutes here trying to convince Michelle that running power is a good thing and it's super useful. But I think ultimately we're going to do a place where we're not recommending that anybody use it. So, so let's go ahead and make that pivot, Eric. Um, well, yeah. So I, I described how you measure cycling power and it's that external measurement. It's, it, it's a true measurement of power. You know, if, if you have an accurate power meter, you can, you can get a true measurement of power applied to that crank on the bike and, and benefit the, the rider uh, substantially. The issue is how do you measure power on a runner? Uh, a, a runner is carrying their own weight. A runner is uh, moving side to side, up and down. Very few of us run, you know, just glide over the ground um, perfectly. In addition, a runner is losing power when their shoe compresses. A, a runner is losing and gaining power. So they're storing power in their muscles and their tendons and even, even their bones to a degree every time they take a step. There are efficiencies and there are uh, losses in all of that. It's not this simple crank rotating on a bike. Um, it is a very complicated uh, piece of machinery that's driving you forward now. Uh, you even have your arms, you know, your arms going left and right, up and down, you know, whatever. So when the, the couple of companies that you know, I looked into most in depth, Garmin and Stride, when you look at how they measure, you know, they, they measure power, Michelle, you kind of hit it on the head. They're indirectly measuring this and they're trying to take the data that they can grab in the watch or the foot pod, or in Garmin's case, in the uh, heart rate monitor, the, the chest strap, they're trying to pull data together where they can cobble up what kind of power the body's outputting and then say, okay, this is running power. They look for kinetic power. That's the power that you are expending to increase or decrease your, your speed. They look at potential power. Um, that would be the power that you're gaining by running uphill or losing going downhill. Uh, they look at your vertical oscillation and your horizontal oscillation. So all this is accelerometers and your GPS and your watch. These are all sensors. They're not, they're not measuring something like a strain gauge. These are sensors cobbling together this data to come up with power. Um, one of the arguments that we that we've had about this is what about wind and and how do these how do these sensors account for wind because when you're running if you're running into the wind it's it's harder mm -hmm. and if you're running into the wind but you're running behind somebody it's easier just like a cyclist right 
Right. Well, in the cycling case, you're going to put more torque or less torque on that crank arm, and you're going to get a accurate response in the power out, you know, the power output you're putting in. So, but in the in running, if you're running into the wind, your watch and your chest strap can't measure that. They, they, they don't know. If you're running in mud, if you're running through tall grass, if you're running on gravel versus asphalt, they cannot measure that. They, they do not have any way to do that. Um, wind stride has come up with a, a foot pod that actually can measure wind to a degree uh, down at your foot, real wind. Um, I've seen some tests run with it in wind tunnels and it's fairly accurate. Um, I'm not sure how accurate it is of the wind at your back. Like how can the foot pod really, really figure out that? Or if the wind's at a degree behind you or in front of you where there's not directly in front of you, you know, we're, we're trusting this device that's being kicked essentially by your foot to do an accurate measurement of the, 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 the wind speed. Um, Garmin has a very interesting way to do that. They just look at weather data for the area you're in and they say, well, if the wind's blowing at northeast at, you know, five knots, this is the effect that it'll have on that runner. It looks at, it looks at real-time weather data? like Real-time, right well, real-time is, is, is strong. It, it, it picks some weather data point, you know, uh, and it applies it to your run. In situ, I don't know how accurate that is or okay. if it does it after the fact, but it's basically just saying, well, the weather report said it was five knots. The problem with that is if you're running through Atlanta, um, say, you know, I, I ran the, the Atlanta half marathon a couple of times, the wind tunnels mm -hmm. <laughs> up Peachtree, mm -hmm. uh, whereas I'm getting 10 knots and maybe the weather said it was three knots. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is if you're running in trees or you're running around cars, you're not going to get this. So the only time that that weather factor is really going to apply is if you're in an open field and you happen to be running in the exact conditions that Garmin is, is applying to your run. Mm. So all that to, you know, saying all that, if, if you were to look at the measurement of your running power, it, it does fluctuate quite a bit, especially as compared to what we see when, you know, when we look at cycling power. And the, the reason for that is you're taking all of these sensors and their inaccuracies, their inefficiencies, uh, the guesswork that they have to put in through algorithms to fill in data that doesn't make sense, and you're getting an output. Mm -hmm. And they're trying not to smooth that output too much so that it's accurate, but it's such a complicated piece of machinery being measured, your body, and it's using so many of these little sensors that are imperfect, that the power number you arrive at, it may be in the ballpark, but I don't think it's in the ballpark enough to be useful. Hmm. So, so to be clear then, whereas on a bike, they are doing a actual measurement with a strain gauge of the power that is being exerted onto the pedal or onto the crank um, or onto the, 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 the wheel. In running, they're basically looking at all of this other stuff. They're looking at your heart rate. They're looking at your, your GPS data. They're looking at how much you're moving back and forth and up and down. They're even looking at potentially weather data or even their own measurements of the wind. And from all of that, they're deriving that, okay, if you're running at this current pace, given all of these different things, 
this must be the power that you are producing. Is that right? That is correct. And with, and, and with that, and with that, Michelle just passed out. <laughs> but that's what you're saying though, right, Eric? That is what I'm saying. Okay. That's what I'm saying. And, and I, I think it's an interesting point you make too, that, that so all of those different things that I just said, that they measure and then derive your power number from, none of those are inherently perfect either. And so, so you're gathering a single number from a whole bunch of imperfect numbers. And so obviously the number that you ultimately derive is going to be very imperfect, right? Yes. And, and, and I'm not calling into question the, the effort in place to measure running power. I, I really want an accurate measurement of running power. I want to, I want a measurement of running power that I can hang my hat on. Like I do cycling power. Mm -hmm. I think that that'd be really, really oh. beneficial to runners but taking all those inaccuracies, and we did a whole podcast on GPS and running in the woods and, and how the little ups and downs and left and rights could, could affect your, your track, your pace and all of that. Well, that all, you know, that all applies to this conversation too. Those inaccuracies get folded into this power calculation. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's, 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 a, it's certainly a highly imperfect measurement. Michelle, what were you about to say? If you were going to get a highly perfect measurement, how are you going to get that? What are you going to measure? Like, what would the technology be? Like, how could you measure it? Yeah. It'll need to be something in the shoe. It, it's, it's going to have to measure the amount of force that hits uh, the ground every, like, what, what are we measuring? Yeah. And so, so essentially you'd be have to be measuring force that you are pushing off the ground with. So is this just not a probable reality for running running power to be a highly perfect measurement what do you think eric are we going to get there in the short term i i agree with michelle it's it's just not something i see being highly being a high accuracy measurement mm -hmm. simply because of the complexities of the human body the differences between one runner and the next runner uh, having a measurement that that can be comparable seems very difficult. I do feel like, and, and so let me, let me make a, if George goes on the, gets on the bike and he puts out 250 Watts and then I get on the bike and I'm putting out 250 Watts, there's a high degree of accuracy there. And we're both putting out 250 Watts. So we can talk about that in comparison. I do feel like we can get a better measurement per runner on their energy expenditure in the short term using these sensors. I do not think you're gonna be able to say I'm putting out 250 Watts and then compare that to George's 250 Watts. Do you understand where I'm going with that, George? I do, yeah, I do. I, I, the one place where I have found it to be somewhat useful um, is when I've been on a treadmill that measures power. Michelle, have you been to at the gym that where you've run on the treadmill before, or the treadmill that you have in your house? Does it measure power? It doesn't. So I I think that's kind of interesting. So let's just take that 250 watt measurement, which we're just kind of picking a random number here. But let's say that that you're on the treadmill and it's set at zero percent, and you're running at seven minute pace, and that's 250 watts. Which I don't know that that's what it would actually be, but let's just say that that's what it is, right? Um, if you then jack it up to 3%, so 
So you're running up a hill. In order to go up that hill and still run seven minute pace, the amount of wattage that's gonna take is now like 280 or 290 watts. But if you wanted to keep the effort the same, if you want to keep it at 250 watts, you could, it would then show you exactly how much of the pace to shave off to keep the wattage level the same. And so it gives you a way to compare speeds at different inclines on a treadmill. A treadmill is a controlled enough environment where it can actually be useful that way. Um, and so if I want to do a steady run at 250 watts, but I want to vary the terrain, I think it can be useful in that regard. That's the one place where I found it's interesting, but most treadmills don't have power on them. The ones at one of the gyms where I've run in the past. Uh, it can be a very useful measurement. I feel like uh, pace and heart rate aren't enough for runners. We need something else. I'm encouraged by the work done by Stride and Garmin, and I have a feeling someone's going to figure it out, whether that is a better measurement at the shoe or whether it's a honing of the measurement uh, with the watch and the chest strap and the foot pod. I'm confident we're going to get to something. I'm, I'm wondering whether we need to move away from wattage and move towards some sort of personalized uh, effort, you know, output of effort. Um, I just, I feel like it's, we're too complicated a machine as humans. And when you throw in different shoes and different terrains and the wind and all of that, it just starts to get overly complicated to try to do this uh, indirect measurement. I think that's interesting what you just said, that, that there is some metric out there that can do what power has done for cycling, but it's not power. And so it's almost like we have the, these ideological constraints uh, because power has been so useful in cycling that we now want to have something similar in running that we're just trying to download the idea of power directly from cycling into running. And what we need to I do is, is, is think of it in a whole new way. I think that's super fascinating. Michelle, what do you think? I think I'm going to the track tomorrow and I think I'm just going to wear an old fashioned Timex watch. <laughs> um, no, I'm happy to have brought Eric on and had what I find to be a very difficult, frustrating, confusing, I really want to understand it. I don't understand why it's so hard topic on running power. Um, I'm glad that the agreement is that it could be useful, but it's really not right now. So um, feel pretty good about my frustrations with it, but I know I'm not the only one, so, you know. Very good. I would love to see the results of your track workout in power. So if there's some way that we can we can look at that in the interim after your workout. I would I would love to see that on a track, flat, gradual turns, most accurate GPS watch made. Uh, I would love to see the output of the power you're putting in on the track. So am I, I supposed like to two watches tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're, you're gonna wear your Timex watch, you're, yes, you're, you need to wear your Coro Coro's watch also. <laughs> <laughs> very good i feel like we can make that happen eric i feel like we can make that happen um all Maybe right we everybody. can follow up in a in a later podcast on that exactly exactly very good all right everybody thanks for joining us michelle thanks for being with us thanks george thanks eric thanks eric appreciate it right on thanks again for listening to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, 
on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.